Hi. Great to see all of you again. It's great to be back at Journey. Uh, so thankful to Pastor Ken uh, for, the, uh, for the opportunity to be here. I know he doesn't uh, do that kind of thing lightly. So um, it is a privilege to uh, be with all of you. Uh, a couple of quick things. By the way, I just love being at a healthy church. And that's what this place is. And uh, in case you didn't know what a healthy church looks and feels like, this is it right here. This is it. You're in one. So sometimes, you know, you need the doctor to say, you have a clean bill of health. And you're like, thank you. All right. All right. Let's have some ice cream. No, I'm kidding. That's, that was my philosophy for many years. Uh, very quickly, my, uh, my, my website, the ministry that I have is called Monumental Ministries. And uh, you can go to mattministry.com, mattministry.com. That has all the, the thing we're about and the mission. And there's books available there. Those books are also on Amazon. And uh, there's also a way to support the ministry if you'd like to do that. I also have a podcast simply called Mattcast, all one word if you're searching, uh, on all the major platforms there. It's obviously for free, but we speak to creative people in the body of Christ. And we try to urge them to... Uh, lift up their game a bit uh, under the anointing of the Lord. So we, we like to think we have a bit of a niche going on there. We'd love for you to subscribe and be a part. Well, this morning, we're going to turn our attention to Genesis chapter 27. So we're going to the first book of the Bible, Genesis 27. Now, whether we want to admit it or not, popular culture has a big effect on our everyday life. Uh, it, it, it can affect even our conversations. Uh, famous lines from television and movies often filter into the things that we just say from day to day. Uh, for instance, uh, the, Wizard of, uh, the Wizard of Oz gave us, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Uh, the Godfather gave us, uh, I'm going to make him an offer you can't refuse. I got to work on my Brando, but I'm working on it. Apollo 13 gave us, uh, Houston, we have a problem. And of course, back in the Terminator, Arnold would tell us, I'll be back. On and on it goes. Well, one of these occurred in the mid-90s, and I was a youth pastor at the time. Uh, it came from the 1995 film Clueless with Alicia Silverstone, in which she and her friends were all kind of valley girls. And when they heard something they didn't like, they would just respond with one word. Whatever, right? I heard some of you out there. Like, whatever, right? Anyone who was a parent back then knows what that sounded like. I heard it as a youth pastor, and it drove me crazy. It sort of turned into a national craze uh, as the whatever got more and more exaggerated the more it was used. Uh, what kind of drove me crazy about the whole whatever thing is, I'm like, that's not even a response. And I'm like, you don't even know what part of speech that is. What are you throwing that, oh, the whatever at me? As I was looking at Genesis 27 recently, I was looking at this story of Jacob stealing the fatherly blessing from his brother Esau. And I realized that no one in this story is heroic. And you're like, oh, picked a great day to come to church. Well, the Bible is as it is. 
But it struck me, all four characters in this story had developed a whatever attitude to God's word and God's plan. For instance, when Mother Rebecca, the mother of this story, when she was pregnant, God spoke a word about the twins that were within her in Genesis 25. He said, the children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. Catch this. The older shall serve the younger. Now we speed ahead a number of years and a couple of chapters. Genesis 27. Here's our main text for the day. Verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young, good young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. I don't think you have to be a mental health clinician to realize this is not a healthy family. They kind of put the fun in dysfunctional. But there's a bigger lesson to be learned in this story. Because God has spoken over each and every one of us. Now there's one kind of grand redemption story that we have sung about and worshipped him about already this morning. But then there's an individual story that he has over our lives. He has a plan for us to follow, a journey for us to take theme alert here at the church. And he wants us to follow his plan and his word to see that through. But if we're not careful, if we're not liking the plan, or we're not liking the timing of the plan, we can start to become dismissive of it and start living what I like to call whatever Christianity. And what we're going to see in this story is that all four players of this story, all four characters, in some way dismiss God's word and his plan. And when we do that, we can fall into whatever Christianity and resemble at least one of these characters. Now, you'll probably find yourself resembling one more than the others, if you're uh, honest. <laughs> we'll find out. Number one, Isaac. Let's start with the dad. Isaac was defying 
So what was his attitude? Whatever, I know what's best. Now, with each of these whatever statements that I'm going to make this morning, they may not be the actual words that we say, but our mindset and our actions will show it's kind of our operating system. So here, Isaac is pulling. <laughs> this is a, definitely a guy thing. He's doing the, I got it, I got it thing. Now, I know none of us guys have ever, we've never caught ourselves in that, but I got it, I, I got, yeah, I got it mentality. In spite of God's word, which was spoken while the boys were in the womb, he sends out Esau to get his blessing. Isaac assumed, key word, he assumed that because he was the father, he was in charge, of course, but didn't consult the father. Without knowing it, we can defy the Lord and what he desires. So husbands, dads, please hear me on, on this. The only way this family thing works is if we are surrendered and consulting with the Lord over our families. We never want to get to the point, fellas, we're like, I, I got it, I got it. Because we're going to make some mistakes. So we see a word from God spoken to Rebecca. There was no way Isaac did not know about this. I mean, how does God spoke to me in an audible voice not come up in conversation? For decades. He had to know what God's plan was. Still, Isaac allowed favoritism or some other reason to prefer Esau over Jacob. You know, it's often assumed in ancient times, and we've probably all heard this, that the firstborn would naturally inherit most, if not all, of the family estate. Now, maybe that's playing into Isaac's defiance here, but God often did not follow that pattern. God was blessing the secondborn here. Well, let's go back. Adam and Eve's third son, Seth, would be the one through whom there would be the Messiah to come. The same with Noah's middle son, Shem. <laughs> Even Isaac, the guy we're talking about right now, was not the firstborn. Ishmael was the firstborn. Yet God had chosen Isaac. Want to be freaked out a little? Go back to Eden. God made humans last, but gave them authority to rule over it all. We must never assume anything. Even if we're very experienced, and this is our wheelhouse of knowledge, we must never assume that we know what's best and not involve the Lord. Well, a guy named John, who was a photographer from CNN, was documenting a large forest fire. He was told that a twin-engine plane would be waiting at the airport to take him up so he could take pictures. Arriving at the airport, he spotted the plane warming up uh, outside the hangar. So he jumped in and told the pilot, let's go. And the pilot taxied and took off. Well, once in the air, John told the pilot, okay, fly low over the valley so I can take pictures of the fire on the hill. The pilot asked, why? Well, surprised, John said, because I'm the photographer for CNN, I need to get some close-up shots. The pilot was strangely silent for a moment, and then he stammered, so what you're telling me is 
you're not my flight instructor? <laughs> Never assume, folks. You know another great movie line to live by? Comes from the movie Rudy. There is a God, and I am not him. We really don't know what's best. We make a terrible God. Yes, we have wisdom. Yes, we have experience. But we always defer to the Almighty. We need to hear from God regularly and then follow his plan, not ours. Number two, let's look at Rebecca now. Let's look at mom. If Isaac was defying, Rebecca was devising. And her attitude was, whatever, God needs my help. So Rebecca overhears the conversation between Isaac and Esau and begins devising a scheme to make it happen. I am now speaking to those in the room. You make it happen people out there. I know you've read about them. They're probably not in the room. You've, you've heard about them. You've seen them in documentaries, but they're out there. Those little engineers out there who always find a way, always find a work through in every situation. Now, keep in mind, there's two things at play here from father to son. There's a birthright and there's a blessing. Now, a few chapters earlier, we see that Jacob tricked slash stole the birthright from a very apathetic Esau. The birthright is all about authority. Whoever has the birthright becomes the official standard bearer, head of the family upon the death of the father. Esau swore an oath to give that away for an afternoon snack. The blessing at play here now is the blessing, the family blessing, which is all about multiplication, having many descendants and abundance. So Rebecca takes matters into her own hands, key phrase, and tells Jacob to deceive her almost blind husband by costuming himself in such a way that even if he doesn't sound like Esau, smells and feels like him. She felt like God needed her help. And she was going to go to any deceptive length to make it happen. But what it really shows is a mistrust in God. This is the philosophy of it's not going to happen unless I make it happen. After all, and we can use scripture even to rationalize this. You know, after all, faith without works is dead, man. That's why I kind of like get out there and get it done. And rather than partnering with God, we kind of shove God over there and we stand and now we're the superhero. I got this, Lord. Stand back, everyone. It's under my control. Now I know there's... None of you, I, I am personally a recovering control freak. I don't know if anybody else in the room is. I, I am. Uh, most people don't admit to it, which means you're trying to control the response, and that's a part of the problem. But I mean, was Rebecca not aware that God is um, God? <laughs> you know, God isn't up there going, oh no, what am I going to do? If only someone named Rebecca could step in and help me. Uh, no, that's kind of not the way God works. When God gave his word during her pregnancy, he meant it. 
It didn't matter what Isaac did or said. What we're kind of really saying is, you know, God can't really make it happen. I can make it happen. Kind of arrogant, no? All it does is cause distrust and disruption. And the Bible is filled with stories of folks who took matters into their own hands in order to help God. <laughs> Start with Rebecca's in-laws. Abraham and Sarah were promised, Sarah, you're going to have a kid. And she's getting older. She's like, well, clearly I'm not going to have the kid. We need to, like, we need to find a workaround. Look, the maid. And thankfully, no problems came from that whatsoever. <laughs> this is what happens when you and I decide to help God. It's my tendency to. This one, I think, hits me harder than anything else, being the control freak that I am. I'm going to seize control and be like, oh. if I go down swinging, at least I had the bat in my hand. Which is why I need to remind myself of Psalm 121, which is my favorite scripture. I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. All do we remind ourselves of that. You know, at one point, Rebecca tells her son, let your curse be on me. Did you catch that? Boy, that's a statement. You know what's interesting is that after this chapter you never hear about Rebecca in the narrative story again. She's referred to a few times later in Genesis, kind of in the past tense, once in Romans, but she vanishes from the story. She's the only patriarch, matriarch in Genesis where we never hear about her death. We, only, we hear about her burial later. She vanishes from the story and maybe, in a sense, brought something on herself. Number three is Esau. Esau was denying. Isaac was defying. Rebekah was devising. Esau was denying. In other words, whatever. Nothing I do has consequences. I don't know about you. It's really kind of hard to understand Esau, isn't it? He just strikes me as a guy who just doesn't see the big picture ever. You know, but actually, he's more relatable than we realize. When we all sin, and we do, we're not looking at long-term consequences, are we? Everything is always about the now, only in the moment. Have to have it now. That's how we are all drawn away and enticed. I was uh, Christmas shopping for my brother one time, and I was in a kind of a nice shopping center, I wanted to buy him a messenger bag, and they had kind of a display with about 12, 15 different bags laid out. So I'm trying to get a gist, and I'm looking at other ones, and they're kind of in the $60 range. And I'm thinking, okay, that's okay. I can swing that. But then I saw the one. I went, oh, that's the one I got to get him. And, I'm, and I'm, I couldn't find a price tag on it. And I'm like, well, you know, I've, I've got the gist here. And I, I brought it up to the cashier, and she rung it up, $200. Yeah, I'm Pentecostal, and I gave out an utterance there at the, I'm like, ah! You know, Satan never shows the price tag, does he? He only shows the slick packaging. And it's only until we're at least knee or waist deep in do we realize there's a cost to this that I wasn't anticipating to pay. And 
maybe it's because he was just the firstborn. He just assumes good things are coming to him no matter what. But when he gives up his birthright, I don't know, maybe he thought it was just a joke or maybe he didn't care about it at all. But the writer of Hebrews has something fierce to say about that in Hebrews 12. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Now, here's the thing. Thankfully, because of the sacrifice, because the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection, we can receive forgiveness and restoration for our past and our present. I'm so glad for that. I don't have to be branded for the rest of my life because of a mistake I made when I was a kid. God can change all that around. And I'm so grateful. But we also need a realization that we are sinners in need of his grace and that we have been very saved by a very loving God. And even as believers, our sin at least harms us and our relationship with God, but it can easily spread further than that. And yes, God cares about the condition of our heart. We can't dismiss sin in our lives. If we allow it to fester, eventually, like Esau, we just won't really care about what we should care about. And we're like, eh, whatever. For our cares will be somewhere else. And that's what sin does. By Esau's attitude and actions, it's easy to see why God proclaimed what he did when he was in the womb. <laughs> there was no way the Messiah could come from his line. By the time he finally gets back, Jacob has now stolen the blessing from him as well. And Esau is living proof that, yes, even in this beautiful era of grace, sin still does have consequences and will only rob us of greater things. The Lord wants you, my friend. He wants you. Yeah, baggage and all. Integrate, but... He wants to lighten the load of the sinful baggage. He wants us to experience the freedom that he died for. And if we just sign up and join him on that journey, he will work that process in our life. Yeah, sometimes it's painful, but man, it's always free. It's always free if we just allow him. Only he can really fulfill our desires. Lastly is our buddy Jacob. Jacob was deceiving. In other words, whatever, it's for the greater good. You know Jacob's name means deceiver, right? I'm sorry, any Jacobs in the room, I'm very sorry. Your parents did not have that intention. But back then, they had that intention. It means trickster or deceiver, which is an awkward first day of school. Kids, I want you to meet your new classmate. This is Deceiver. Deceiver, say hi to everybody. You know, don't hold that against him yet. But Jacob was living down to his name as he did a lot. 
let's look at Genesis 27 now, and let's see if we can count the lies. Here we go, verse 18. So he went into his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Ding. Number one, if you're scoring at home. I have done as you told me. Bing, that's number two. Okay, I won't do that for all of them. Now, sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? Ready? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. It's good. Just drag the Lord right into that lie. That's good. You can always cover yourself. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Non-stop lies. You would think Jacob was running for public office. You got to get that in. Somebody, somebody start my car. I need a quick getaway. How does someone justify lying on this kind of scale? Well, Jacob thought it was the greater good that he received the blessing. So he went along with his mother's plan and lied as often as he could to get it. Boy, we need to realize how dangerous this is. I am now about to describe tens of millions of people in our country right now. Many live with this philosophy. If I want it, God wants it. Boy, there's a lot of pseudo-spirituality out there, and a lot of it centers on this kind of unbiblical thinking. We assume we are in line with God no matter what. Therefore, if I want it, God wants it. Have you noticed, by the way, all the assuming going on in this family? Isaac assumed he was always right, no matter what. Rebecca assumed God needed her help. Esau assumed his choices didn't matter. And now Jacob assumes the ends justify the means. Deceiving begins with the father of lies and then us deceiving ourselves with his lies. And Christians are doing and saying all kinds of unbiblical things with the assumption that if I want it, God wants it. But I have to say, it just isn't so. We don't become the world to win the world. We've got it in reverse. If God wants it, I want it. If I want it, I must submit it to the Lord and find out if he wants it. And that's the key to whatever Christianity. In one word, submission. Oh, I know, that's not a sexy word. It, it, it's not the stuff of Christian bumper stickers or best-selling books. I get it. I'm like, everyone, bring your friends to church. We're going to talk about submission. Woo! I know, there's no shouting with submission. But 
I really believe that this is at the root of most of all problems with Christians and families and churches. And it begins with a lack of submission to God. If we aren't submitted to Christ, it all falls apart. Everyone in this family was kind of like a wild stallion that needed to be broken, if I can use the horse lingo there a little bit, of whatever Christianity. You know, it's counterintuitive. True freedom begins with true submission. A horse has to submit to a rider if it is going to do anything productive or go anywhere purposeful. We have to submit our whatever lifestyle to the master. I want to finish with a clip from the movie The Horse Whisperer. <clears throat> if you haven't seen it, a daughter and her horse are severely injured in a riding accident with a semi-truck. The daughter loses a leg, and the horse is deemed unrideable. So a desperate mother seeks out a man in Montana who is said to have a very special connection to horses. And it's hoped that he will somehow help the horse to submit. Watch this. Is this some kind of physical therapy? Mr. Booker, I'm really not comfortable with you taking these kind of risks.
From now on, leave your phone somewhere else. I'd like for you to bow your heads, please. You know, we're all that horse, you know? <laughs> Bucking and kicking against anyone that tries to rule over us. But Jesus just wants to get his hands on us. That's it. He doesn't want us to live whatever Christianity. And it's only when we submit to him that his healing touch begins. And new life is found. And some of us, we've been Christians for decades and we have to be reminded of that. Because we, we start living our little program irrespective of God. Christian, before I pray for you, I want to know if there's anyone in the room that's never committed their life to Jesus Christ. You've never handed your life over and given control to the Lord. If so, you can do that right now. You can make the best decision of anyone in this room and hand your life over. So right where you sit, if you desire that, just pray this to him. Jesus, I need you. I've been doing it all my way and it's not working. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died and rose again. And I give you my life so that this moment forward, we will live this together. Give me a new life only you can give in the name of Christ. Christian today, maybe you identified really strong with one or two or more of these characters in one way or another. Healing begins with submission. It's coming back to where he is. He's never out of eye shot. And he's watching. He's waiting and he will meet you. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. I'm going to pray a prayer of submission on behalf of all of us. And today, if you respond to that, maybe in some way you want to show surrender to the Lord. Maybe it's by holding your hands out or up or looking up heavenward however you wish to do that. But maybe today you want to just say, Lord, I just, I submit to your plans and your word. So Jesus, today, I fully submit my life to you. I'm sorry for writing my own script. I'm tired of bucking and kicking and pushing you aside. Lord, I see you. And you see me, and I'm headed in your direction. I submit my plans, my hopes, my dreams, all of it, all of it, my expectations, all of it. I submit it into the hands of the Savior and the Master. Lord, place your healing hands on every believer in this room today. Let us not leave here with condemnation. Let us not leave here 
in unfounded guilt. Let us be restored and revived by the healing hands of Jesus. Take our submitted lives, God, and do something wonderful as only you can do whenever you see fit, however you see fit. And we will give you thanks and glory for it in Christ's name. Amen.